Long History, Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 7, The Mutineers. Hello everyone and welcome to an episode of Long History, where we take historic source documents, including eyewitness accounts of voyages by Magellan, Columbus, Francis Drake, Walter Raleigh and more, and then we split them up into digestible chunks of around 10 minutes. In this way, we give you the full unedited history from people who took part. And at the moment, we're covering Henry Hudson's diverse voyages and northern discoveries, which covers Henry Hudson's four journeys to try and find a passage to the Far East from England. He tried to go north, northeast, and northwest during explorations that eventually led to New York's famous river, the Hudson, being named after him, as well as Hudson Bay in Canada. So if you want to listen to the details about those voyages, I'm sure they're just a few taps and clicks away. And this is episode 23 now of 25, so if you want to be informed of the release of the remaining episodes, don't forget to subscribe. Now over those 23 episodes, the documents have taken a slow shift from rather repetitive documents containing technical details about the weather and the location of the boats in Voyages 1 and 2, to more famous explorations of, for example, the Hudson River in Voyage 3, involving some drama with the local people. But the voyages reached a, a sort of climax in the previous episode. Until then, Henry Hudson had been in charge of all his voyages. But in the previous episode, he was cast adrift with all the sick men on the ship. The reason given by the remaining men was that there wasn't enough food to make the return journey to England, and the only way to make it home was to get rid of the man who was stopping them from making the journey, Henry Hudson, and to get rid of a few of the weaker, hungry males. As we start here, the remaining men, the mutineers, having taken over the ship, have now begun their voyage home. And now we're in a rather unique situation, where we're hearing the point of view of the men who took over the ship, and the chances that we'll hear from Henry Hudson again are quickly diminishing. This is Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 7, The Mutineers. The wind serving, we stood to the northeast, and this was Robert Billet's course, contrary to Robert Dewart, who would have gone to the northwest. We had the eastern shore still in sight, and in the night had a stout gale of wind, and stood afore it till we met with ice, into which we ran from thin to thick till we could get no further for ice, which lay so thick ahead of us, and the wind brought it after us astern that we could not stir backward nor forward. But so lay embayed fourteen days in worse ice than ever we met to deal with all. For we had been where there was greater store, but it was not so broad upon the water as this. For this floating ice contained miles and half miles in compass, where we had a deep sea and a tide of flood and ebb, which set northwest and southeast. Here, Robert Dewart would have gone to the northwest, but Robert Billet was confident to go through to the northeast, which he did. At last, being clear of this ice, he continued his course in sight of the eastern shore till he raised four islands, which lay north and south. But we passed them six or seven leagues, the wind took us so short. Then we stood back to them again, and came to an anchor between two of the most northernmost. We sent the boat ashore, 
to see if there were anything there to be had, but found nothing but cockle-grass, whereof they gathered store and so returned aboard. Before we came to this place, I might well see that I was kept in the ship against Henry Green's mind, because I did not favour their proceedings better than I did. Then he began very subtly to draw me, to take upon me to search for those things which himself had stolen, and accused me of a matter no less than treason amongst us, that I had deceived the company of thirty cakes of bread. Now they began to talk amongst themselves that England was no safe place for them, and Henry Green swore the ship should not come into any place but keep the sea still till he had the King's Majesty's hand and seal to show for his safety. They had many devices in their heads, but Henry Green in the end was their captain, and so called of them. From these islands we stood to the northeast, and the easter land still in sight. We raised those islands that our master called Rumney's Islands. Between these islands and the shallow ground to the east of them, our master went down into the first great bay, we kept the east shore still in our sight, and coming thwart of the low land, we ran on a rock that lay under water and struck but once, for if she had, we might have been made inhabitants of that place. But God sent us off without any harm that we saw. We continued our course and raised land ahead of us, which stretched out to the north, which, when they saw, they said plainly that Robert Billet, by his northerly course, had left the capes to the south, and that they were best to seek down to the south in time for relief before all was gone, for we had small store left. But Robert Billet would follow the land to the north, saying that he hoped in God to find somewhat to relieve us that way as soon as to the south. I told them that this land was the main of Wollstonehume Cape, and that the shallow rocky ground was the same that the master went down by when he went into the great bay. Robert Dewart and all said it was not possible, unless the master had brought the ship over land, and willed them to look into the master's card and their course, how well they did agree. We stood to the east and left the mainland to the north, by many small islands into a narrow gut between two lands, and there came to an anchor, the boat went ashore on the north side, where we found the great horn, but nothing else. The next day we went to the south side, but found nothing there save cockle-grass, of which we gathered. This grass was a great relief unto us, for without it we should hardly have got to the capes for want of victual. The wind serving, we stood out, but before we could get clean out, the wind came to the west, so that we were constrained to anchor on the north side. The next day, we weighed and doubled the point of the north land, which is a high land, and so continued to the capes, lying north and south, some five and twenty or thirty leagues. To the north, we stood to see store of those fowls that breed in the capes, and to kill some with our shot, and to fetch them with our boat, we raised the capes with joy, and bare for them, and came to the islands that lie in the mouth of the strait. But bearing in between the rocky isles, we ran on a rock that lay under water, 
and there stuck fast eight or nine hours. It was ebbing water when we thus came on, so the flood set us afloat, God guiding both wind and sea, that it was calm and fair weather. The ebb came from the east, and the flood from the west. When we were afloat, we stood more to the east shore, and there anchored. The next day, being the 7 and 20th of July, we sent the boat to fetch some fowl, and the ship should weigh and stand as near as they could, for the wind was against us. They had a great way to row, and by that means they could not reach to the place where the fowl bred, but found good store of gulls, yet hard to come by, on the rocks and cliffs. But with their pieces they killed some thirty, and towards night returned. Now we had brought our ship more near to the mouth of the straits, and there came to an anchor in eighteen or twenty fathom water, upon a riff or shelf of ground, which, after they had weighed their anchor, and stood more near to the place where the fowl bred, they could not find it again, nor no place like it, but were feigned to turn to and fro in the mouth of the strait, and to be in danger of rocks, because they could not find ground to let fall an anchor in, the water was so deep. The eight and twentieth day, the boat went to Diggs, his cape, for fowl, and made directly for the place where the fowl bred, and being near, they saw seven boats come about the eastern point towards them. When the savages saw our boat, they drew themselves together, and drew their lesser boats into their bigger and when they had done, they came rowing to our boat, and made signs to the west, but they made ready for all assays. The savages came to them, and by signs grew familiar one with another, so as our men took one of theirs into our boat, and they took one of ours into their boat. Then they carried our man to a cove, where their tent stood towards the west of the place where the fowl bred. So they carried him into their tents, where he remained till our men returned with theirs. Our boat went to the place where the fowl bred, and were desirous to know how the savages killed their fowl. He showed them the manner how, which was thus. They take a long pole with a snare at the end, which they put about the fowl's neck, and so pluck them down. When our men knew that they had a better way of their own, they showed him the use of our pieces, which at one shot would kill seven or eight. To be short, our boat returned to their cove for our man, and to deliver theirs. When they came, they made great joy with dancing and leaping and stroking of their breasts. They offered diverse things to our men, but they only took some morse's teeth, which they gave them for a knife and two glass buttons and so receiving our man they came aboard, much rejoicing at this chance, as if they had met with the most simple and kind people of the world. And Henry Green, more than the rest, was so confident, that by no means we should take care to stand on our guard, God blinding him so, that where he made reckoning to receive great matters from these people, he received more than he looked for, and that suddenly by being made a good example for all men, that make no conscience of doing evil, and that we take heed of the savage people, 
how simple soever they seem to be. The next day, the 9 and 20th of July, they made haste to be ashore, and because the ship rid too far off, they weighed and stood as near to the place where the fowl bred as they could. And because I was lame, I was to go in the boat, to carry such things as I had in the cabin, of everything somewhat. And so, with more haste than good speed, and not without swearing, away we went, Henry Green, William Wilson, John Thomas, Michael Purse, Andrew Motor, and myself. When we came near the shore, the people were on the hills, dancing and leaping. To the cove we came, where they had drawn up their boats. We brought our boat to the east side of the cove, close to the rocks. Ashore they went, and made fast the boat to a great stone on the shore. The people came, and everyone had somewhat in his hand to barter. But Henry Green swore they should have nothing till he had venison, for they had so promised him by signs. There's an underlying tension in this episode. Right at the beginning it says, Here Robert Dewart would have gone to the northwest, but Robert Billard was confident to go through to the northeast, which he did. Henry Hudson isn't mentioned in this episode, but nevertheless, we can see that the men are worried about their actions in the following quotation. Now they began to talk amongst themselves that England was no safe place for them. And Henry Green swore the ship should not come into any place but keep the sea still, till he had the King's Majesty's hand and seal to show for his safety. They meet some of the local people, but again there's some underlying tension. These people seem friendly, but Abercock Pritchard, the man who wrote this document, gives a worrisome foreshadowing in the following sentence about Henry Green. God blinding him so, that where he made reckoning to receive great matters from these people, he received more than he looked for, and that, suddenly, by being made a good example for all men, that make no conscience of doing evil, and that we take heed of the savage people, how simple soever they seem to be. So it's a slightly convoluted sentence, but what Abercock Pritchard seems to be saying basically here, is that Henry Green is about to get his just desserts. And you'll find out exactly what happens in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Long History. Please, before you go, do give it a like if possible and share it with any like-minded people. There's only two more episodes to go now, so if you haven't subscribed already, now is the time. Thank you for listening to Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 7, The Mutineers. Goodbye.